I'm Kimberly C. Palm. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. So I just want to welcome you to the show, Sarah. I've been following you on social media, and I love your humor. And I don't know if it if that's just your sister coming out of you because she's a comedian, or but there's a lot of humor you use when you talk about uh, you know every little thing about living and dying. Um, how how does how did that evolve? Well, in my family, uh, we were kind of, we worshiped at the altar of Steve Martin, I guess, growing <laughs> up. I don't know that, big, his, you know, King Tut, that album came out when we were in our youth. And I mean, I must have listened to that thing a thousand times. And I just thought I like, you know, I just think it's, it brings so much delight. And there's so much to laugh at, especially in self-improvement, like self-help in that world. Right. Like if you don't laugh, you're going to cry because it's just so hard. And in death, there's it's the one thing that's so beautiful that lightens those really heavy moments because you know, when, when someone's dying, there are heavy moments, Mm -hmm. just like in life, there are heavy moments, (laughs) you know, and just thinking about talking to you, you know, you are a physician an MD by trade. You met a walrus and then became a, is it shamanic healer healer? Yes. And I would say this didn't happen instantly after meeting the walrus, but yes, the walrus definitely unlocked a process. (laughs) So yeah, to back it up slightly, I was, you know, in, I'd been practicing medicine for 20 years, but feeling really disconnected to it in the last, I'd say three or four years before this happened. And I finally got the courage to take a sabbatical to kind of try to figure out what the heck's going on with me. Why can't I just suck it up and keep going? And <laughs> that summer I'd stumbled into this strange concept that the wild animals that cross your path might have messages from you for you. And I was just like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But <laughs> I was so desperate in such a dark place at that point. You know, I had a lot of fears like, oh my God, I'm going crazy, which was not a far, not a far-fetched idea with my family history. We have a lot of madness in our family. And um, anyway, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to try it out. So it was like, the idea was like, what's the animal that's really captivated your attention? And I walked into this shop in our downtown and on the wall, there was this taxidermied dead, in fact, walrus (laughs) um, with these, you know, three foot long tusks. It was quite impressive. And I was like, wow, that is definitely catching my attention. And uh, I was like, Mr. Walrus, please, you know, hit me with your message. I am ready for it. You know, and I stood there. In fact, I went back to the store a second time to see if I could hear something or get something. But finally, what I, I nothing came to me, but I started watching these YouTubes of walruses. Cause I was like, okay, I'm just going to learn more about walruses. And what I noticed is they were just like, laying on the beach, just so relaxed, you know, like if, you know, like walruses are definitely not trying to be anything they are not. They're just like surrendered to the earth. They're not, you can tell they're not anxious about, oh my God, the clams are going to run out. Oh my God. You know, like, do I look good in this, on this beach at this angle or whatever, you know, kind of thoughts that humans might. And, and then the other thing I learned is that they're apex predators, meaning they have no competition in the natural world besides, you know, humans, obviously. And, and polar bears occasionally, but 
So I put those two things together and I was like, okay, if I could manage, maybe what the walrus was trying to tell me is like, if I could manage to be myself, Sarah, as much as possible, maybe I would have no competition either if I should choose to go into a different field. And that idea really buoyed me up. And then I began to like, be like, well, maybe these, you know, these beasties do have something to help. You know, maybe I'm not the grand master of the world and maybe I should listen to like the little ants. And, you know, things started to kind of really point in me in different directions and things I needed to know and, and help me relax a little so I could eventually step away from medicine and pursue, yeah, the work I do now, which I love and really started, um, we were talking before the podcast gets started, but really it began with a call from death. Um, when I was back in medical school, you know, you go through the basic science training and then they send you into the wards. And one of my first patients, she was a younger woman in her early thirties, three kids, recently divorced, dying of breast cancer. Well, she was there for like a research protocol, which was basically killing her. Mm. I mean, we later stopped those protocols because they were too, they were killing more people than they were helping. Anyway, there was one day we kept bringing her, uh, you know, giving her blood transfusions and every day we would sort of report her. And I remember just standing at her bedside, you know, saying things like, we're going to get your, we're going to try to get your platelets up again. And, um, you know, your numbers are here and this is, you know, it was just very mechanistic, you know, the way traditional medicine can be. And I remember going home at night and thinking something is missing. Like we need to be talking to this lady about something and I don't know what. And the next morning, of course, we get a page that the patient has bled to death, you know, uh, in the morning. And I just thought, like, somebody should have talked to her about dying or that she was potentially dying or that this is a time to bring the kids. I mean, there was nobody ever there. I don't even know. You know, I don't even know what happened because we were so busy. But I remember thinking, wow, if I'm going to go into medicine, we need to do something at that level. And I could see that that wasn't the kind of medicine I was going to be getting trained in, at least from my point of view, that's what it, I'm sure that I know there are great people out there that have figured a way to do that. It's hard though. It really is difficult. Yeah. Like in addition to everything else you need to learn, you start and start mastering spirit and soul and awareness and paying attention to people, which is exquisitely difficult in the environment. You know, I can see, you know, I, you're one of many, many physicians stepping away, um, not from being a doctor, but stepping away from how doctors practice. Because you will never not be a doctor. It, it's just, I think you're kind of now seeing how to treat the entire person instead of just pushing them into a medical model. Um, like you want to get to know the person and not let them just be a patient. It's like knowing a person and knowing the patient are two different things. And you want to like, and they shouldn't be, they should be one. Yeah. And I think for me, I really wanted to address the needs of the soul of the person. I, I, mean, I didn't that. have the words for it, but that's really what I wanted to do, you know? And, uh, I love that. But so that's how I ended up in pathology, <laughs> which is because I was like, well, I can't do this. So I'll do this other thing, which I can still be of service and of use to other people somehow. Um, but eventually, yeah, that call took me back to the walrus. The walrus took me into this very unknown world of the spirit world, which, you know, I, I, uh, I, well, as I know, you've got an elephant in your room on your TED yeah. talks. Like I literally had a spirit elephant enter my life who really started changing it for the better. Um, which may sound crazy to anybody who's listening to this podcast, but 
these ancient um, sort of concepts of uh, spirit and power that they, they're, you know, a very important part of life and that each of us has a spirit animal. If we are conscious of it or not, you know. Um, How do you figure out what your spirit animal is? Do they come to you? Well, for some people, yeah, for some people, they come to you in your dreams. Some people, if you ask them, they just know, like, or if you explain the concept to them, you know, usually it's, um, for a lot of people, it's quite obvious to them. Um, you know, sometimes it's an animal that you've loved, a wild animal you've loved since childhood. It typically is not a cat or a dog, like a domestic animal. Not that they can't be extremely helpful beasties for us, right? but typically something wild that cannot be tamed, you know, that is, uh, you know, See mine, it's a wolf. See, there you go. And that would make a lot of sense because I was just thinking about, well, when I think of wolves, I often think of teachers and also this, um, you know, which clearly you are a teacher about the dying. um, (laughs) Pack leader, like the pack, you know, we're not here to be alone. And, and and I've always desired to be, to run in a pack of friends. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's it's so it's so great. I mean, that's what the that's what I love about this kind of stuff. It's so simple, but it's also so playful and fun. And then you start thinking about yourself as a wolf, and it's like it cracks open. You, know, you watch a documentary about wolves. I mean, you'll and then think about yourself as you're relating to everything. It's like wow, your whole world just starts to open up. It's really interesting. Well, and the crazy thing is, uh, I'm a huge uh, Washington Redskin fan, and they're thinking about changing their name to Red Wolves. Ooh. And I'm like. I wasn't going to follow you anymore. And suddenly (laughs) it it was just like, whoa, wait, that's kind of cool. But yeah, so talk to me, is it nature? Because, you know, I've never really connected animals, um, but I see nature, how I kind of want to live. For instance, you you had a great example, like the walrus saying, you know, is this my best side? I look at the trees are not comparing their beauty to one another. They're just being. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like in my face of how we humans tend to overcomplicate the very beauty of of individuality. You know, we don't see that. Um, we tend to judge that instead of like, oh my gosh, this is this is unique. And I that's what I love. I think I love that you're a, an MD of the soul. That is awesome. And I love that, yeah, what you were talking about, this like comparing to each other, wanting to be like, I remember one day sitting in the woods during this ceremony and I was like, I was just thinking about wanting to be better at everything and wanting to be the best, like really wanting to, you know, how we can, you know, as a medical person, you know, of course, we all wanted to get the outstanding grades and be the top of the class and all that kind of stuff, that competitive perfectionistic nature. And I was thinking about how perfect I wanted to be and all these things I'm trying to do. And I suddenly just had this insight, like what the world would be like if we were all perfect and how it would be this strange robotic world. Because the the earth is like, if you look at a tree, I mean, they're all cattywampus and part of it is going this way. And part, but that's how it becomes beautiful is in its kind of imperfection. Um, and on that same level, like, I think death is a huge teaching from nature. You go in the woods and it's like, what do you see? There are trees down everywhere and nobody's screaming and yelling and saying, I shouldn't be dying. It's too early for me to die or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, they're just surrendering. And this isn't to say we shouldn't be upset when our life is being cut short. Right. And, um, we could talk more about that too. I'm a melanoma survivor. So I've, are you really? I've encountered that as well. 
Yes. You know, my boyfriend yeah. died of melanoma. I know you just, I know when you said that, I was like, uh-huh. Um, so I think that's the other thing nature can show us that, you know, like this just recently when my mom was going through her passage into death, I, at, well, and this was just immediately after she died, I was feeling so overwhelmed with so much grief. It was like, I wanted these animal sounds to come out of me. But of course, in our culture, that's not okay. I kind of wish it was. I, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, The Smell of Rain on Dust by Martin Prechtel, but he talked, he's a Guatemalan shaman and he talks about how in their town, they have these professional grievers that come in and they're just like, ah! they just basically start to let it out, crying and screaming and yelling. And anyway, I had this really feeling of terrible. So I finally went out, parked my car, hiked in a few miles where I knew nobody was going to be around. And I just laid down in this meadow and I just like, really let it out just like you know just like crying like like probably like a little kid would you know when you're right. just wanting to and then it feels so good because I just felt all these trees around me and then all of a sudden the fall leaves you know how those beautiful aspens start to shimmer and shake and they just started shimmering and then the, all these leaves just let go and it was just like they were all flying through the air and it was just like spirit saying like it could be so easy, just so light. Like we do not hang on to our branches. We just go and it's no problem. And it's so effortless. And it's like, I feel nature shows us the instructions of how to die. <laughs> and it's all there, like encoded everywhere you go, you know, as these, um, and they're just, anyway, all those seasons that teach us how to grow, how to die, how to live. You know, you, you touched on something, uh, energy in nature. And and I think we underestimate uh, the energy we as people have, um, you know, it, because I believe, you know, when I was doing this, you know, live well, die well tour across the United States in an RV with my dog, I felt the energy of Rob, my boyfriend, with me a lot. And I think, you know, it's like, I'm not going to say anything um, because no one has a Dell Soul Honda anymore, but every state I was in, one would pass me. Mm. And it, it's like, how do you connect, you know, what's happening and not let it be so woo-woo? Um, but yet it gave me such comfort. It gave me comfort. Uh, and when you were talking about the leaves, um, you know, it was that your mom, you know, a part of her energy. And you know, I just love that nature provides all the questions and answers at the same time. Yeah. Um, but we humans are so busy. And I think those experiences where something happens, like you see the Del Sol, you know, the Honda Del Sol. I've seen, I have friends who like, if they see hair ties, they know it's their husband who's died. Um, the morning after my mom died, it was 4.30 in the morning and I was lying in bed, couldn't sleep, you know, in that grief, grief stricken state. And through the window came this amazing breeze and it just, filled the whole room. And it was just, it was, I knew it was my mom and it was like, she was there in the room with me, but then she was also everywhere. And it was just so profound and so healing and so beautiful. It was just like, oh, wow. And later that morning I told my husband about it and he goes, well, that's doubly amazing because the window was closed and I had to run upstairs. Plus, like it was just like this beautiful fall breeze. I mean, I felt it like on my skin and everything. So I think like, 
but these stories, like, right, I can share this story, but it doesn't mean it's so different from you, me having that profound experience. Like, we have to experience it ourselves. You have to see that del soul, and it only means that to you. And you can right. say logically, well, of course, there's 2% del souls of all Hondas ever sold in America. It's just statistics. Like, my dad would say that, you know? Right, right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, when we get that reassurance, it feels so good. It, it it is. And and what I love about your work is that is that you're using energy of animals and nature and how it brought you to your true calling. Cause I when I see what you're doing on social media and now experiencing your energy in front of me and talking with you, you were born to do this. Yeah. I mean, you know how it is when you're going through transformation, you're like, well, what am I born to do? Like very confusing. Like, it totally is confusing and never ask for clarity because damn, it would be totally But I do confusing. feel like I'm doing what I'm born to do. Like I finally do feel that way. Um, and funny enough, like I know you're a lover of art and creativity. And when I was in that horrible, like hating my medical practice, not because of anything to do with the medical practice, but just because I was, something else was pulling at me. I started doing all this decoupage art and it was so crazy. Like my sister who Maria Stanford, who was a comedian used to make jokes about like, I, she'd come over and I'd be like, dude, you want to decoupage something? You know, anything, tray, a bug, like <laughs> it. And I had all these old timey animals that I was gluing and I could, it was all I wanted to glue were animals. And I think it's because I would have been terrified if an animal spirit had pounced on me, you know, at my little house and woke, you know, I would have maybe had a psychotic break, but instead they gently, they <laughs> gently introduced me to the idea that animals might help you feel better. Well, you, you wrote a book about it. Yes, I did. In fact, the book of beasties. Yeah. Talk to us about that. How was that process? Well, it's a crazy encyclopedia of what you know, of ideas for one to consider when one encounters a particular animal, you know, like maybe you've had a deer cross your path or maybe tigers have been coming in your dreams, you know, like what might that mean? Or what about snakes? Snakes. Yes. We could read all about snakes. Because you know, this summer I've had more, I even got bit by a copperhead. What? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is every time I turn around, I, it wasn't that I was scared is that I saw them and I wanted it, it, it drew and I, so I Googled it. Of course I'm of like, course, okay, yeah. what if I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing so many snakes. What does that mean? And it talked about, it's a transition period for you. I'm like, what? what? I know. Yeah. Well, when I wrote this book, I kind of opened a ceremony, invited all the beasties who wanted to be part of it to join me and then to make the you know, to share with me their message. And I think there's like almost 150 beasties in here. So if you've got almost anybody or re close relation is in here. Um, and then it has wonderful illustrations from the 19th century, but I'll just read a little bit from snake. Shall I? Yeah, please. Yeah, to do it. Intention that everybody listening to this needs to hear this message from snake, just because you are listening and there are no accidents. That's right. Um, this is just one part of the two pages, but why is the arrival of snakes so dang nabbed intimidating for so many of us? It's because snake often arrives to make us uncomfortably aware of our fears, both, con both conscious and unconscious. Don't be dismayed. Be curious instead. Hers is the bite that heals. Hmm. 
And I love that about snakes. You know, they're a lot of them are poisonous and dangerous, but yet the snake is in Asclepius, the Greek story, the snake was the one who alerted us to the healing medicines of nature, of plant. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. She slithers in to wake you up. It's time to shed your skin and upgrade your entire life. Snake can show you the way to let go of everything that no longer serves you. Be warned. This beastie doesn't do it one tiny scale at a time, but all at once. The Band-Aid is being pulled off. It's better this way. You won't be in this vulnerable state forever as long as you stay curious. You're learning to embody your own power. This can result in emotional upheaval, physical pains, hypersensitivity, disrupted sleep, as well as feelings of bliss and infinite love and transcendent awareness. Awakening that energy and allowing it to flow can be an uncomfortable process. It's time to stand up and dance with Snake and receive her gift of power. Mm. You know, and, and part of that is alluding to, you know, Kundalini, mm. which is the base, the, uh, you know, the infinite power that resides at the base of our spine, according to yogic, you know, ancient yogic writings. That is amazing. Oh, the, the crazy thing is this, is when the copperhead bit me, I went, of course, you know, um, killed it and had to take it into the the ER. And, you know, of course they're like, why are you here? And I lift up the Ziploc bag and they're like, come on back. The doctor was like, Hey, um, we sent so many people to, with copperhead bites to the hospital, but this copperhead didn't put any venom in you. It, it, he, they were just, this is a warning bite that you stepped on him or her and that, Hey, um, and I killed him. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, you're telling me, but I, I just didn't know what else to do. It was the first time. Oh yeah. You made the best decision you could. Yeah. In the but it was really interesting how everyone was sent to the hospital and I was just sent back to my RV mm-hmm. and, and, and every sense then, um, that the bite, I started seeing lots of snakes and, um, and just kind of let them alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really amazing. And I love what you said and what you wrote. Um, because I feel all of what that I feel all I'm having trouble sleeping. I just moved back into my house that I've owned for, you know, 20 years and there's no furniture and, but I have space. I mean, there's just a lot of commonality in, in that relation. It's amazing. And I think collectively, I think we are being invited right now to all shed our skin because if we don't, right, it's not going to be good. Like we gotta, we gotta. <laughs> well, I wanted to also mention your newest book that I'm falling in love with because you are, you even have cards that you've, which you're going on social media. And every time I see you, I just love what you're doing, you're just so excited about sharing the cards. And the new book is How Good Are You Willing to Let It Be? I think everyone in the United States and the world need this book right now. Mm. Because you can see there's so many positive things that are occurring that sometimes we don't see because we're stuck. Mm. Um, And I love that title, How Good Are You Willing to Let It Be? Even the hard things. Yes. How good are you willing to let it get was this question that my, actually Alice, my spirit animal. um, Which is the elephant, right? Kind of just, she's the elephant helped me to formulate at this. There was a particular moment at the story, the title actually comes from this story that when I was 
on my sabbatical and I knew deep down in my soul, like I'm not supposed to go back, but I better go back to medicine because who the heck's going to pay for the kids school and you know, all these practical money fears. Right. So I put down, like I made a prayer to the universe, like universe, if I'm supposed to do all this weird, funky, beasty spirit stuff and like kind of go down this path that I don't even know where it's going. And it feels a little dark and a little weird then show me like, how do I, how am I supposed to do that? And so two weeks later, my husband got a raise like nearly to the dollar of what I was getting paid. And I was like, oh my gosh, this universe stuff is, it works, you know, like this is crazy. It was so bizarre. And then, but within two weeks I was like, eh, maybe it wasn't the sign. Right. Maybe I should still go back. And that's when I realized like I had put this like self-imposed limit on myself. And so started to ask this question, how good would I be willing to let it get? Like how much love would I be willing to allow in? How much abundance, how much like, cause allowing myself to do a job I love, you know, what happens is when we start to think about upgrading our life, we get worried like, Oh, it's going to hurt somebody else or, Oh, I shouldn't ask for so much. My life is already so blessed or, you know, all these feelings come up, but I think, yeah, not that everything is meant for us that we want, but some things are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when things are really good, you're like looking around like, okay, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. That shoe drop energy, which is, Oh gosh, that's such a good, in fact, I have a whole court card for the shoe dropping energy. (laughs) It's called let the good times roll because it's like, yeah, when it's good, let it be good. Enjoy. Cause surely the bad times are coming. They are. (laughs) Guarantee it's going to, if today was great, tomorrow's probably not going to be as great. And vice versa, when it's really horrible, I always try to remember, like, my cosmic rubber band is just being pulled back. And right. as soon as I let go, things will probably get better. You know, I my whole tour had, this past few years have been the arrow. Um, and I always looked about, you know, sometimes the arrow has to be pulled back in order to be released forward. Yes. And it gave me hope that even though I was sometimes during the tour of being like I felt stuck or that I was being pulled backwards, I always like, oh, good, because I'm going to be let go forward. Yeah, yeah, shot forward. And it made those hard times like, okay, I just have to I just have to. What is the reason? What am I learning? What's the universe trying to teach me? Yeah. Am I aware of it? And, And I love that viewpoint. I really do. And I love your sign because I believe you have one arrow going one way and an arrow going the other way, which reminds me of like this in shamanism, we have this idea of sacred reciprocity, which in like in, uh, in the Quechua language, it's Aini, which means balance. So it's like, if I do something for you in our culture, like if I bring you soup or something like that, then you're going to be like, Oh my God, I better give her a gift certificate or a thing. You know, and I'm gonna, but it's like, <laughs> In Aimee, it's like we give things without any attachment and we just, everything is automatically balanced as we just follow our hearts to do the things we want to do. And it reminds me of like nothing ever goes one way. And so in death, like it's so amazingly, there's so much beauty in death, although it's like, we're all so scared of it, but then there, and so many people have told me that when they've lost their loved one, that they actually became closer to them after death. Like not in a creepy, weird, like it's controlling their life way, but just feeling their support, their unlimited support, you know? Oh, wow. I totally get it. I totally get that. And it sounds like totally you have that, that with your, your, your bow, you know? Oh, yeah. Rob. I mean, I, I, all I felt 
was, you know, as I was driving this 29 foot RV and hauling my car, my German shepherd, you know, and across the United States, I just felt admiration. Like, oh my, I felt him saying, oh my God, look what you're, what you're doing. Look at what you're doing. And and sometimes when you're in that doing mode, because you forget like, well, isn't everyone doing this? No. And I assure you, not everybody is pulling an RV and with your dog. <laughs> and go, I mean, that is, that's an undertaking. That's like a pilgrimage that, that takes so much out of a person. And so you need that spirit support. Oh my gosh. And what I, the greatest thing I learned on this journey is the hope in humanity is still there. It is so beautiful to, to see people close up and, and to see, and be in people's neighborhoods that, and they got to meet my dog who can't travel on a plane, but I felt really a part of a community uh, of people, which was, which was really cool. You know, I, I often have seen, especially at the end of life, that those of us who work in the field to serve others, we often um, forget to serve ourselves. And what I love, I believe your words is a path to healing those that serve others in your experience, what have you found? I mean, it, why is it so hard to remember to take care of us as we serve others? Others. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, I think there's, I think it's because we have these parts of us who are these mother Teresa parts who are just like, keep going, keep going, you know, don't rest. You can do this. And like, because of all these heroic mythical beings that somehow just never needed a wink of night sleep or whatever. I don't know. Or in <laughs> our minds, we think this. So I think we're always comparing ourselves to that. Um, I know with my mom, you know, at the end, it's like, I didn't want to miss one minute, you know, mm. um, it was just like every second I just wanted to be there. But at the same time I knew I had to sleep. And I, the morning that she died, I had actually gone st- downstairs to take a nap, um, in their house. And I was so glad my dad was paying attention because he said, you know, he finally, he woke me up after about a half an hour and said, you know, mom's breathing is, is getting slower. You might want to come upstairs. And that was you know, I had the opportunity to go upstairs and I picked up my ukulele and I started to play for her. And it was like, I was playing the, like the concert of my life, man. It was like all these beautiful songs I'd been learning from for two years and just playing it really softly. And then my sister, Maria, the door opened, she came in from outside. We both just kind of took her hand. My dad walked in and we just watched her basically just breathe her way out of this life. And it was just so beautiful and peaceful and natural. And like, it's just like, she totally knew what she was doing or whoever was bringing her along knew exactly what it was doing. And yeah, my, it gives me the chills just uh, to even think about it. It was profoundly beautiful. And then it, like, she hadn't been gone for two minutes. We were kissing her and holding her and hugging her. And then Maria goes, mom, you don't have to count any more Weight Watchers points as long as you know, it's like you're done. And we all just burst out laughing. You know, that was just like so hilarious. Oh my goodness. Because it's like our good <laughs> things, right? Like this life, we are tethered to certain edicts and things that are just so damn hard. Oh my God. That is, of course, your sister said that, you know, which is great because it it does. There is some releasing even in death. You know, the crazy thing is I, I just love you. I, I want to be around you. And the great thing is you even, you do retreats. 
I can be. I do. I mean, right now we don't, well, we have one, we're going to Peru, but that one is sold out in 2021. God bless America. Hopefully we're going to get there. You know, hopefully Peru is going to let us in in April. Um, but I don't have any other ones, but I will eventually. Yes. Because I love. So what do you do on these retreats? Well, we had a pachydermal pilgrimage. We've done that a couple of times where we go to Thailand and we just hang out with these elephants and kind of walk around in the forest with them and try to pick up wisdom and like, you know, scrub them and bathe them and, <gasps> And learn about the Thai culture, which is so beautiful. The well, not just the Thai culture, the the hill tribe people there who are shamanic people. And so we spend a lot of time in nature. Um, we do a lot of ceremonial stuff. And last time we did Kundalini yoga, all these things to help us wake up and and collect our thoughts about what it is we're here for, so that when we return back home, we can get busy doing it, you know? So we live this life that is completely, you know, we're living the life we're here to live and not wasting, not wasting time. I love that. And then I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do an online version of my tell death do us start uh, weekend, which is where we kind of have a little tiny, you know, Baskin Robbins taste spoon size of death. Again, for the purposes of reminding us, like, what is important to us? What do we want to focus on? Why are we here? Um, and I just love that work because in all my sort of brushes with death, either through melanoma or through my uh, experiences with dear friends dying, as you, you know, in your TED talk, you talked about how the people who, are, who die or are dying are our greatest teachers. I could not agree more mm -hmm. with that. Um, but in all those experiences, I always came back like, or shamanic initiations, they will, you know, you will be killed in your shamanic initiation, you know, and, and it's kind of a terrifying thing, but then that's how we explore these, um, these realities beyond this life and get to experience what happens when we die. Which I would, I, you have to let me know if you do it. Yeah, well, I will. I will. So I totally want to do that. Yeah. With the weekend, we have more time to kind of go really deep and do some really and bond with each other because it's like, we don't, go, we don't want to die <laughs> until we feel pretty safe. <laughs> you know, the people are going to take us back. Right. Uh, so yeah, I love that work. And it's, I think it also prepares us to help sit with others who are dying because mm. it just brings us present, wakes us up. And really all you need to help somebody die is to be able to sit and breathe and be calm. You know, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to know anything. Just, what was the lady from the famous lady from hospice said, look like you understand what's going on with them that you feel you, you you're, look like you're trying to understand what's going on with them. Cause you really can't have any idea what's going on with them, but you can breathe and pay attention. And that is, you know, that's huge. Like we're, I just think we're all these walking, talking altars. And I totally get what you're saying. I really do. You, you know, the crate, what's really great about your work is it, it makes me feel good to hear you talk and about, about relating energy and beasties. And, and here you are a physician and you even went as far as to create an app for people. Yes, I did. Yes. It's the, what the walrus knows app on, 
iTunes. I love it. Yeah. And if you have a beast, you know, if you're working in a cubicle, not many people are anymore, but if you are like, turn the sound off. Cause every time you, you know, look up a different beastie, usually the voice of the beastie will come through loud and clear, which <laughs> if it's a Buffalo snorting, you know, and you're in a conference call, it can be kind of awkward. <laughs> but yeah, if you're curious, there's also a guided shamanic journey on there. So if somebody wants oh, to know cool. who they're, they're, I call them the core, who your core beastie is, you can find them that way. That's an also, that's how I ended up finding mine. Cause my brain was too overactive <laughs> to figure it out otherwise. <laughs> um, but yeah. Now, does it cost anything to download? I think it's like four ninety nine or something. That's it. It's, it. it's a bargain. And it's got like, I think 150, 160 animals on it. So you could right oh, now, really? like you could look up rabbit, you know, or that was my mother's core beastie, which I learned so much from her, her, her rabbit medicine. Have you, are, do you feel like you're going to start seeing rabbits? Well, we have a lot that live in our yard. Um, and last year there were like, they really, their whole, anyway, I, I do, I do feel something when I see rabbits, I think about my mom and, um, and I just feel that frequency of a rabbit, which is, a, uh, it's different. Th- I mean, each beastie has its own magical way, none better or more powerful than the next, no matter how small or how big, you know, they're all just unique like us, you know? Well, and you also have, other than the retreats that one day will perhaps get back to normal, um, but you also have online classes for people to work with you. Yes, I do. I have a class to help people do, learn how to shamanic journey, which is this marvelous ancient technology we have to help us. You know, you could connect with your spirit animal. You could actually ask your spirit animal to teach you about death and dying and how to die well, how to live well. I mean, it's amazing. Like there is infinite wisdom available to us and we don't have to wait to die to access it. <laughs> That's can amazing. This afternoon, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, look. How do people find you? Um, I'm you're at- not hard. I mean, because you're yeah, all yeah. over. So, and and you're really, uh, your humor is what I relate to. Uh, you, it just comes through. You're funny. I'm so glad to hear that because some days I think I used to be funnier. I used to have a lighter, you know, whatever. I, I'm glad to hear <laughs> that. That's still there. Uh, I got some help from a llama with that, by the way, because, you know, you can lose your sense of humor when certain things happen to you, right? Like, anyway, uh, my website is followyourfeelgood.com, followyourfeelgood, which is sort of a command, you know, like, that's what I, I think what I learned was like, in, in medical school, I, I thought it was like, don't do anything that feels good. And then you'll be on top of the world, you know, but I had to unlearn that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I, I love what you're doing. What projects are you working on next? Are you, are you still going to continue to write or are you working on a new project? I have a little novel, which I'm working on, which is, uh, uh, I haven't gotten back to it just yet, but I have a note to myself to print the print it out so I can reread it. And right now I'm just creating a lot of art, like with no purpose, but I'm, I'm going to start a hundred day project. I'm sure you know about hundred day projects where you, you know, you commit, you're going to do something for a hundred days. Like you're going to write a haiku every day. Are you going to paint something? That's what I'm going to do. And I haven't quite clarified the scope of it, but that was actually what, Why, what is the significance of a hundred days? Cause you're, you're don't fall out of your chair. I just started a hundred day commitment. Oh, cool. Monday. I and I, I don't know what that means. Well, if you go to, if you Google hundred day project, it's actually started a movement started by an artist. I don't know if it was one artist, but anyway, most people started like in April, kind of 
but I just do it whenever I feel the mood to do it. Um, right. And that's really what started, you know, the, how good are you willing to let it get book? It started as a hundred day project. I just channeled channeled, but I mean, I went to Alice, the elephant every day for a hundred days and asked her to share a message for humanity, for people, you know, and I just made some art with that or added some art to it. And then people really liked that. So I was like, well, let's turn it into a book. So I kind of expanded it and then turned it into 365 days. Um, but I don't know what I was doing something on death and grief. Maybe we'll see. It might. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Like God, let's do something about death and humor. The humor, humorous stories around death would be really fun to collect. You know, those hospice, burly hospice nurses, they have a lot of stories. That's really funny stories too. Yeah. Like even just your, when you were telling your story about how the family's like, don't tell mom, mom's dying. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell the kids I'm dying. Yeah. And I'm just like, I thought everyone <laughs> knew about that. I mean, it was just, so, I think humor is everywhere. Yeah. And, and it's so it, the greatest lesson I've learned in life is when you learn to laugh at yourself yes. and it is the greatest gift I have ever learned because I am, I am cuckoo. Yes. And, and when you can, can appreciate and find humor, even in that, um, that's when I think the, the beasties, as you call them, can truly, uh, show you the way. Yep. Yeah. Humility. Absolutely. I mean, that's where it's at. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to see how like silly we look. <laughs> I practice it every day by like sharing my bad art and I'm not going to call it bad art. Cause that's like, I'm not into that. Like I just got to call it art, but yeah. There's just this, and if people want to think it, think it's goofy, well, that's okay. You know, I just have to do it. You are a gem. And I, oh, I loved this spending time with you. Uh, I just what I just think you're amazing. And I can't wait until you have another retreat that's not sold out because I want to go. I want to go to Thailand. I want to go see and I would love that. Oh, it's so fun. And like, I mean, by the time people go to Thailand, it's like, you're all in, man. You're not like, hey, I'm kind of into this retreat. I mean, you kind of have to just be there, right? It's it's so, right. It's hard to be distracted when you're 30 hours away by plane. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, before I go, tell me, tell me your mom's name, Marilyn, Marilyn. Yes. Ah, uh, what a gift. Um, thank you for what you're doing. Um, and doing it with such grace in your own way. I love your humor. I love who you are and what you're contributing to the world. And when I saw you on social media, I was just, my energy was just attracted to yours. And I, I, I hope many people uh, get in touch with you and really learn about their beastie and how to open their minds and their hearts to, to the messages that we, that are out there for them. Yeah. I think we're, there's so much love. We're just swimming in it, you know, but we just, we need to find a door to get to it. And the beasties definitely, uh, they can be a really fun and, and playful door to enter that, to access all that. I love it. Thanks for who you are and spending this time with me. Thank you, Kimberly. It's been a You toy. are amazing. It's just been, and please, if there's anything I can do um, while you and your family are going through uh, the holidays with, without mom, just know I'm sending you good thoughts and, and uh, I'm sure the bunnies will be uh, around every step of the way. For um, sure. Yeah. Thanks again for what you do. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.